you everybody so much for joining us on the Around the Dental World podcast. I'm your host, Ibada. I'm a second year dental student at JCU. And with me, as always, is my spectacular co-host, Dylan, a third year dental student at UCC. So if this, this is your first time watching and you want to check out our other episodes, you can do so on our Instagram or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. Yes, if you're new to the show, the way it works is we ask our guests three main questions, which will take a majority of the interview. And then we're going to go to a speed round of questions, which is just, just kind of fun little questions. And at the end, we're just going to ask our guests if they want to plug something or they want to let the audience know what's uh, up in their, uh, what's uh, happening in their life right now. Perfect. Thank you, Dylan. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our newest guest of the Around the Dental World podcast today. It's Dr. Daniel Marinovsky. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, round of <laughs> it's, um, uh, it's always good to have a chat and uh, particularly on a topic I'm really passionate about, practice ownership today. So excited to see, um, you know, where, where we go with this. Perfect. Could you just give us a little introduction for those that might not know about you? Yeah, so um, uh, like you said, my name is uh, Daniel Marianovsky. I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, um, went to university at uh, La Trobe University, where I, I still go back to teach. Um, so I graduated uh, in 2018, so this will be my fourth year of practice. Um, after one year of practice out in the countryside in Ballarat, I opened up my own practice in Melbourne, in the big city. And um, yeah, I've been here ever since the last uh, year and a half, coming on two years of practice ownership. And uh, yeah, through it all, I've learned a lot and I've always been actively involved in teaching. Uh, so I still go back to the university. I deliver lectures to um, students online via Zoom, which isn't as fun as being in person, um, but also help them out with uh, like preclinical activities um, when they're practicing on mannequins and, and tutorials, things like that. And also with a friend, I co-founded um, one of the largest providers of dental education for young graduates in Australia called General Dental Residency. And um, because of my commitments with uh, my private practice, I've sort of um, given that over to my friend and focusing more on clinical these days, um, but still very, very passionate about uh, education. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that introduction. So let's get into the interview now. This is something that we ask all our guests. So could you tell us why you went into dentistry and kind of describe how that journey went for you? Yeah, I'm, I, unfortunately, I don't have a particularly exciting answer to that question. I think it was mostly a happy coincidence. I was one of those people that always, for some reason, had it in their mind that they wanted to do something medical and uh, never really knew quite what. And then when it came time to putting down the uh, preferences, applying for universities, it just so happened that, um, you know, the offer that I got was for a dental school. I'd applied for medical schools and I had an offer for one interstate, but I you know, it was quite young. I was young for my year level. I was only 17 at the time. And so I wasn't quite ready to, I think, move out of home. And or, Well, I still moved out of home anyway, it turns out, because dental school was in a regional area here. Um, but at least it wasn't interstate, so um, more more of a happy coincidence than anything else. And then um, I still remember when I got to dental school, our first year professor, um, funny guy, his name's uh, Jeremy Graham. He's a forensic dentist. You know those dentists that work on the uh, you know, when there's big plane crashes, they need to identify the bodies. So you know he was one of the lead, I guess, investigators when the whole I think it was the so there was the Malaysia Airlines plane that. Um, oh, yeah. you know, some years back that crashed somewhere here and 
all that sort of thing. And I remember, um, very interesting guy, I remember probably the first lecture we got as dental students, the first question he asked was exactly this. He sort of went through, he went, okay, so I want everyone in the room to raise your hand if you chose dentistry because you want to earn lots of money. And then you stay around hang on. Or, and then you kind of keep going through or raise your hand if you chose dentistry because you think you can help people. And it was just really interesting to see at the time um, everyone's hand go up and I suppose how differently uh, the different paths people took to get into dentistry. And then, you know, comparing that from when we started to when we finished and how a lot of people's mindset um, changed. I know certainly mine did over that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great answer. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Yeah, awesome. So uh, can you please share your journey into practice ownership? Yeah, so uh, after graduating, to me, it was clear that I was going to take one or two paths, either specialization or get into the business side of dentistry. Uh, As a kid, I was always, um, I was one of those kids always trying to kind of dream up some kind of business with my friend. We had all sorts of ideas and I think we even tried some different things online. I was always sort of into that uh, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, not that it ever got me anywhere, but always playing around with different things, creating things, websites, whatever it might be. Um, so that was a very strong pull for me. I knew that at some point in my life, I wanted to be a part of the business world. Uh, and the other pull was specialization. Um, I was one of those kids coming out of dental school that really felt quite strongly about oral surgery. And uh, to me, you know, it was quite a strong pull, not for any particular reason. I think it just seemed cool at the time. Um, It just seemed kind of fun um, whenever we'd observe with our um, oral surgery, uh, like lecturers and and things like that. It just seemed exciting. Um, The textbooks were exciting. And um, what happened was when I graduated is I, I, I was sort of uh, hit kind of a fork in the road. I was trying to apply for some hospital-based jobs. So here in, in Melbourne, there's about a total of maybe three positions that are available to new graduate dentists that really set them up to go down that pathway of oral surgery or oral maxillofacial surgery. And you know, unless you get one of those jobs in one of the main hospitals, it becomes sort of quite difficult later on to, to move back to that pathway because the world's so small, a lot of, you know, it's based on a lot of connections and everything. Um, so there's options to go to the Alfred and the Monash. And, you know, I got very close. I went through all the interview process and uh, I think I, I just missed out on a position in the end. And that's sort of what decided it for me. And honestly, I was happy for the decision because part of the reason why I was a bit wary of following that oral surgery pathway was, was how much it relied on luck. At least here in, in, in Melbourne, in Australia, a lot of it depends on uh, whether or not you progress down the pathways. If people like you and, and you know, if they don't, sort of tough luck. Um, if you don't know the right people, you're not likable. And I, I, I think part of, part of me realized as well, I didn't like that aspect of specialization that it required um, a lot of, uh, I'll say, pandering, for lack of a better word. You know, you don't really, at the end of the day, have as much control over your pathway as you, you might have. Um, and that's what really drew me to business because in business, everything starts and ends with you. Um, yeah. if you succeed if you fail, if you have a great team, if you have great patients, like it all starts and ends with you and you're totally responsible for everything. Um, and I think that's a great way to look at business to take total responsibility when anything happens. If a staff member makes a mistake, it's still you know my fault as a business owner. Um, and that ultimate control was really drew me to, to business. And so after a year of private practice in Ballarat, 
was about an hour and a half or two hours outside of the big city of Melbourne, uh, I decided to open a practice. And it wasn't a decision that was awfully well thought out uh, at the time. It was just the sort of, in my mind, the debate was, okay, if I'm going to do this, uh, the only question is when. And what are the pros and cons of doing it now, let's say a year after school, as opposed to five, ten years after and in my mind, I went through all the pros and cons of waiting versus doing it now. And to me, at the end of the day, it made sense to do it now. Uh, and I guess at a high level, some of those pros and cons really was, you know, a, a lot of business is, is about being uh, time in the game, right? So the earlier you can start, in the better in theory a position you might be in five, ten years' time. A lot of it's just time. You know, if there's anything I've learned about business, it's that uh, as much as Instagram and social media will, will show you that um, – you know, there's zero to 100, you overnight successes. The reality is that 99.9% .9 of businesses are a slow burn. And so to me, I understood that starting earlier would give me, you know, potentially put me in a much better place five, 10 years down the track. Um, and then the downside was obviously coming into it with a lot less clinical experience than maybe I would have liked. Um, and uh, I sort of balanced those two aspects and realized that to me, I felt that even if I had a lot more clinical experience, I don't know that it would have, uh, and I can look back reflectively now and say that with confidence, but I don't know that it would have really made any difference whatsoever in the business uh, because at the end of the day, uh, running a dental practice has everything to do with business and, and quite little to do with dentistry. Mm -hmm. Would you say your dental school helped prepare you for like the business aspect of uh, owning a practice or... I mean, look, we're, our, our dental degree is a, is a dental degree. It's not a business degree. And even a business degree wouldn't prepare you because most business degrees are not set up to encourage small business owners. Most business degrees are, are really there, like an MBA. They're really there for people that are working in, you know, not, not, not small or medium enterprise, but large enterprises. So uh, I don't think there's much that can teach you the skills of, of business for small business or, or dental small business outside of just kind of doing it or speaking to people or looking at private courses. So did you kind of seek mentorship from the dentist that you worked for before and kind of learn, or did you kind of just go for it and learn as you, you know, it, it, It's funny. Uh, the, the dentist I worked for, um, great man, Irish guy. Um, uh, Dylan, I think, did I see your, you've got Irish background? I'm not. I, I study in Ireland. I'm actually Canadian. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. Um, anyway, Irish guy, grew up uh, doing dentistry in the NHS for 10 years there, some 30 years ago. And um, uh, what was interesting when I was working for him in Ballarat is that we were going through a transition period. He, he was sort of, it was interesting to see this happen for someone who was quite uh, sort of later on in life. I think he was approaching his sort of later 50s and um, he had his practice for some 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden now he was trying to really grow it. He'd purchased over another clinic, and when I was there, it was going from like a three-chair practice to a 10-chair practice, sort of within the span of six months, so a really big growth period. And um, it was really interesting to see all the challenges that he faced at the time. And me as a dental associate there, you know, I'd see him stressed all the time, um, sleepless nights, like he, he, he was in a rough shape. And uh, obviously, there was lots of pressure on him from different angles, finance, you know, employee, staff, everything. And it's funny because at the time, all I could do is, you know, I'd sit there and, you know, we'd have team meetings and things and he couldn't help let all of the stress and everything kind of come out in the way that he approached his, his team, I suppose, at the time. 
and uh, in, in a negative way, I guess, or I perceived it as in a negative way. And at the time, uh, as an associate, I couldn't help but stand there and think, you know what? I reckon I could do this better. And uh, it's, it's funny to see, you know, how wrong I was uh, in, in many senses. Uh, so from the perspective of mentorship, I think that uh, I didn't receive much business mentorship from my, my first boss. He definitely put me on a great path uh, focusing on quality uh, dentistry. A very unique practice. Uh, as an example, every operating room, every treatment room has a, a microscope. Um, so he's got like, I don't know, 10 operating microscopes there, which is nuts. Uh, it must be probably, I reckon it's probably the only facility, the only clinic in the world that would be set up like that. It's not like in terms of the investment cost and everything, but he was a big believer in magnification and doing quality dentistry and taking your time. And uh, I think that really set me up for success. Um, but from a business perspective, it was interesting to observe as an outsider. But if there's anything I, I regret, it's that at the time I wasn't taking more notes on, on what was happening uh, to allow us to deliver the kind of dentistry that we were delivering, really high-quality care, comprehensive care. Uh, because if I'm being honest, if you were to ask me, Daniel, had you ever been to the reception? There's a big clinic. I tell you, in my year of working there, I don't think I'd ever walked into the reception. Um, because I had no need, you know, there were treatment coordinators, everything was done for me. And so I had very little clue as to what it actually took to you know, have the patient say yes, to have the patient to accept treatment, to book in for their next appointment, to see out a treatment plan that might span 10, 15, 20 visits. And, you know, it just happened in the background. I just assumed, oh, I'm, I must be fantastic. You know, I tell someone they need this and then they get it done and yeah, it's, I'm so great. Um, but the reality was there was a lot of things happening in the background that I now understand that I wasn't aware of that enabled us to, to do the kind of dentistry that we did. And that's where the business side of dentistry came in. But mentorship wise, I didn't receive much from him, but I think that I could have, I could have really capitalized on that opportunity if I was a little bit more, more, um, had my wits about me to really, you know, as, a, as an associate, you're worried about the dentistry. You're not worried about like, Oh, did the patient have an SMS confirmation sent? Or did the patient pay a deposit for their appointment so that they don't know show? You know, you're not thinking about that stuff. You're just thinking about which birth should I use for my next crown preparation or whatever. Uh, so a very different mindset. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like it's kind of when you're working as an associate, you don't worry about those things. But it's good that if you have those plans to become a practice owner in the future, that you're kind of attentive towards those things early on. Yeah, if you want to leg up, for sure. Mm -hmm. So moving the next question what's sort of like three concepts or aspects that you think people that are looking into practice ownership should have sorted before they get into it um you're never going to be ready uh, i think that that's a that's that's probably the summary there um it's like having a kid or, or getting married or engaged everyone's like oh, you know what when's the best time i have to be settled first i have to have my job and then I have to make sure I've got a house and all these things. And, you know, if you think about it that way, you'll, you'll never be ready um, because there's so many unknown variables because practice ownership is so variable depending on, I think we'll get into this, if you're doing a startup practice, if you're taking over an existing, the area you're working in, the type of dentistry you want to do, the type of practice setup, where you, whether you have hygienists or not, there's, there's so many variables that um, you can try and have it all figured out, but, 90% of it is figuring it out as you go along and kind of enjoying that process or trying to enjoy the process through the stress and headaches and everything. Um, 
And I think it's that realization that can really propel people into pursuing you know, business and dentistry or starting a practice. Um, but at, at a high level, I think number one, what we already touched on is you need to understand what does it take for patients to um, find a dental clinic, to choose a dental clinic, and to then go ahead with treatment and go into recare. Because that's really, if you talk about the life cycle of a patient, you know, what, what allows a clinic to survive, to thrive, it's really that. You need patients to find you, right? You need them then to choose you as opposed to Joe Blow next door. And then when you see or when they come in, you need them to kind of trust you and accept treatment, you know, be willing to go ahead with whatever treatment they may require or they may want. Um, and then throughout that process to actually attend those appointments that might be for us, you know, where we do a comprehensive care, it might not be uncommon for a patient to have a series of 10, 15 appointments, you know, until their dental treatment sort of course of care is complete. And then what does it take for that patient to then reattend the clinic on, let's say, a six-monthly basis or whatever the re recall or recare period might be? And understanding at every touch point there what's actually required for that patient to find you, all right? So what does that mean? You have to have a presence maybe online, physically within the community, maybe through Facebook groups in the community, maybe through um, Google reviews, whatever that might be. That's number one. Number two, how are they going to choose you? How are you going to establish your credibility? Why should they choose you as opposed to Joe Blow next door? Uh, or why should they travel from 20 minutes away when they've got a dentist nearer to them than you are? Um, so you need to understand your points of differentiation and how you can actually propel that into your, these days, online image or through word of mouth. Um, and basically, it's about thinking through each aspect of that, that patient life cycle and really designing that whole process uh, at a high level, at least, before you actually start a practice. Um, because designing it as you, as you go along becomes a lot more difficult uh, when you've got staff members and everything involved. If you don't already have these processes figured out, um, changing things over time, you know, that's what we're going through right now, becomes a lot more challenging. So I think that's, that's number one, is really understand what does it take to make this business work. Number two is understand that the hardest part, and it's, it's funny I say this now because when I was a dental student in my final year, I worked as a temporary nurse. So what does that mean? There are some temporary staffing agencies that exist that allow you to work as a dental nurse. They'll take dental students. Basically, every morning you get a text message that says, hey, this clinic nearby needs a nurse. Like, do you want to work today? And then you say, yeah. So you say, no, it's a, it's great. I really recommend it for, for dental students that want to get some experience and get their eyes on a bunch of different clinics. Because one of the big advantages of this is that instead of working at one dental clinic, you know, I worked in maybe 15 or 20 clinics in my last year of dental school. And the reason I'm saying this is in every clinic I attended, I'd ask the boss there the same question. Um, and the question I asked every time was, what's the hardest part about practice ownership? And uh, does anyone want to take a guess what they said? Being an employer? They all, they, all, they, all, they all had the same answer. And I, at the time, I didn't believe them. But now I do. Oh, Any I guess? No idea. Yeah, so the answer that unequivocally everyone gave was staffing. All right, for everyone, the answer was the hardest part of practice ownership is staffing. And it's, it's taken me a little while to realize that myself in my practice ownership journey, but it's, it's so true because if you, if you kind of break things down you'll, and you, you just think about business because owning a dental practice is no different to owning any small business. I could own a hair salon. I could own a nail salon. 
I could own a coffee shop. And the principles are exactly the same. The only difference is that we drill teeth instead of frothing milk, right? There's no difference in terms of how the business needs to run. And at its core, what is a business? A business is just a group of people that are organized towards a singular goal. So the group of people that organize and are working towards a singular goal in unison. Um, and there's two parts to that. You need to have a group of people, and then somehow you need to make sure they're all on the same page and working to the same goal. And that's phenomenally difficult, um, particularly in today's market um, where uh, for a number of reasons the, the HR market is, is very, very challenging, at least here in Melbourne. Um, you know, people in terms of the wages people are asking, um, expectations, you know, with, with the younger generations, the expectations are a lot higher than, you know, some of the previous generations in terms of what they want out of their work. And as a small business, it can be a really hard market to, to sort of compete in um, when people are tossing up, you know, job offers, uh, job offers from small businesses versus larger businesses that can offer them more things and all of that. Um, and then internally, how do you actually motivate and inspire people to work to that common goal? You know, it's a phenomenally difficult challenge. And the reality is that unless you want to be, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but unless you're, you're happy being that practice owner operator, i.e., you know, you're just running one chair, maybe you've got one or two nurses, you're really lean. You know, if you actually want to expand to have associates and, you know, to have the sort of practice where maybe it's actually a business, you know, that doesn't rely on you. So I can go to Fiji for a week tomorrow and everything is going to keep running. Um, you know, that's a true business in my mind. Um, and very few businesses are true. Very few dental practices are true businesses. Um, they're, they're really just glorified jobs. Or maybe we'll touch on that later. And what I mean by that is that they rely so heavily on the principal dentist. They can't just go to Fiji tomorrow. And to me, you know, that's not a real business. Um, so, but that's a, a different topic. But um, to summarize there, the hardest thing is staffing. And uh, the reason I bring that up in the context of our discussion now is that you want to understand that from day one and you want to think about, okay, what, what's going to be my strategy to actually recruit and maintain staff? How am I going to create a happy work environment where people really want to come here, where they refer their friends maybe to work for us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's a really difficult challenge. So I think that requires a lot of forethought before starting the practice ownership journey. And probably the last part is really tied into the, the above two um, staffing we spoke about. And the other one was just understanding the workflow of what does it take to run a dental practice from A to Z in terms of the patient workflow. And I think the last thing is just understand, you've got to understand the basics of business. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely didn't. And it's not that you've got to figure out all of this beforehand, but you need some basic understanding of, okay, what does it mean to have, you know, a good cash flow in a business? Um, when should you consider financing? Um, certain practice uh, decisions uh, around purchasing equipment and stuff, when you should consider financing as opposed to um, just buying outright with cash. Um, you need to understand the basics of HR law because it's going to come a time where you need to fire an employee or we've got an employee that's underperforming and you need to, you need to somehow up their game. Um, so you need to understand how do these things work? How do I make sure I pay people properly? How does superannuation work? Um, how does, you know, in Australia, we, we have PAYG, which is where we sort of withhold tax from employees as we pay them so that they don't need to save to pay taxes. So we sort of pay their taxes directly. And you know, how does all this accounting work and getting a really great team around you, accounting, lawyers, HR, et cetera. Um, these are just some of the thoughts. But there's so much to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for that mm -hmm. summary. That was very helpful. Yeah, those are very well thought out 
answers to those questions. Thank you so much, Daniel. So now we're just going to go to the speed round of questions. So it's just about like a minute of questions, just like fast fun kind of questions. Um, so what's uh, something that you wish that you knew um, before you started owning your practice? That a dental business is no different to any other business. At its core, you need to understand that the principles are the same. And you need to look at other small, other small businesses that are successful, you know, maybe in your area and see, you know, what are they doing right? Uh, because we are no different to that coffee shop, that nail salon. Um, you know, how do you create that customer service experience? How do you get people to come back? Um, how do you get people to choose you? I think really focusing on that and forget the dentistry. You know, because at the start, I'll keep this brief, at the start, when you're, when you're starting a practice, you know what's really exciting? You get to pick your composite. You get to, like, buy lots of fancy toys. Oh, maybe I should get a laser. Oh, that'd be nice. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, what sort of retraction cord? Oh, actually, I think I should get this. I'm going to organize everything really neatly. And all of that has absolutely nothing to do with whether your practice succeeds or not, but everyone gets wrapped up in it. That's definitely very true, That because um, I think I saw a post and somebody commented on it that, you know, MDs, they'll have like two star reviews and they don't care about it and everybody still goes. But like in dentistry, you have to like worry about that customer service aspect and make sure like you don't get bad reviews and because the reputation matters. And that's it's just, it's just competition. Yeah, it's just competition. I mean, uh, at least in Australia, I mean, I have four other dental clinics on the same street as me. Uh, so, so maybe that wasn't the best place to open a clinic, but maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, okay, well, so you also spoke about how staffing is like really important. So do you have any tips on how you balance being like a friendly employer, but still making sure that your staff is working efficiently? <laughs> wonder if any of my, uh, my staff are watching this. Um, there's so many different philosophies on this, and I'm, and I'm not going to pretend to say that I've got this figured out because I definitely don't. Um, I think it's about having healthy boundaries because I've definitely had times in the past with certain staff members where the lines blur between friendship and, and um, I suppose, being a boss. So, you know, you, you'll see a lot of practices out there that put these, out these adverts that sort of say, oh, we're, you know, join our team. We're like a happily, happy family and we're all best friends. And, you know, I don't know how much I buy into that um, because at the end of the day, you know, people are there to work and you want to have great friends at work. You want to get along with people. But you want to have a healthy boundary um, to make sure that uh, when you do need to have difficult conversations, you can. Um, so that's really important. Uh, so I don't really have any particular tips except understand that, you know, firstly, your work colleagues, and secondly, you can be friends and get that priority right. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So, Daniel, if you were to expand, like, would you start up again, like, from scratch, or would you, like, uh, take over, like, a, a previously owned practice that was already running? Yeah, I would, I would never do a startup again. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, well, okay, let, let me put a little caveat on that. So the, the type of dental practices that I'm interested in are, are ones which I, are close to home. Um, and I live in a big city in Melbourne here. I'm not far from the city centre. And so in areas like this, doing a startup practice uh, is, is phenomenally difficult, phenomenally difficult. So, you know, that's the path I chose to take not for any real logical reason, except that I wanted to, to make something my own. I wanted to like just nut it out, do it from scratch. Um, would I do it again? No. Would I recommend it to others? No. Unless you're you're opening in an area that that you know doesn't have a dentist. So if you're opening a clinic in regional areas or more like rural areas where the town of five thousand people doesn't have a dentist yet, 
you know, for sure, do a do a startup or if there's only one dentist there, it's about looking at the metrics. So you want to look at the population to dentist ratio. Um, see, so as a rule of thumb, you, you probably only want about one dentist for every 2,000 or 3,000 people, um, any more than that. And it becomes very competitive, very hard, not enough work for everyone. So, for example, where I am, I think the ratio is one dentist to every 900 people. Um, it's a very, very high ratio. So... Um, I would never do it again, merely purely because it's it's a slog. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, and at this point, when I have a bit more cash flow, I may as well just purchase another clinic and get that goodwill. So from day one, we're generating income. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are your thoughts on kind of like opening a practice or just running a practice with a partner? And would you ever get into that? <laughs> uh, it's funny. Someone actually recently the other week approached me asking if I wanted to partner with them. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, you know, the, the dental practice, uh, the dental education company I mentioned earlier uh, that I started with a friend, you know, that was a partnership. And, you know, I'd say we had a pretty successful partnership. Um, we both learned a lot from that. Um, so I guess at a high level, everyone should understand that, you know, these first businesses you have, like you're going to make so many mistakes. And one of the mistakes we made in our partnership is that we never actually, from day one, we never sort of set the lines of, you know, really clearly of, you know, what happens if one partner no longer wants to be a part of the company um, or is unable to, you know, and you've got to have a really strong partnership agreement, which we didn't have. So it, it helped a lot that we were great, great friends. So when it came to parting ways, um, you know, we were able to do that pretty amicably. Uh, but it can be tricky, you know, when money gets involved with partnerships and, you know, you want to be careful if your partner is a good friend as well, or family member, um, and you really want to, from day one, really outline, the A, A, B, C, D, like literally all scenarios, what happens if one partner wants to work less or one partner wants to change the tact in the business? You need to line out, okay, this is exactly what we're going to do in those situations in the partnership agreement, such that when those situations arise, there's not a case of, oh, but you said that this and blah, blah, blah. Because you know, when money gets involved, it gets really difficult for many people. Um, so I would definitely do a partnership, but with a really great agreement in place. And I think it's a great way to... Uh, ease the burden and certainly moving forwards any other businesses that, that I'll be involved in you know, most of them will be partnerships because it allows you to diversify your portfolio to get your hands in a few different areas uh, in a way that you'd never otherwise be able to mm-hmm. yeah definitely so Daniel our last question for you is so what's the marketing strategy that's really worked for you at your clinic and why do you think it is successful uh, to be quite frank, I can't say that we've cracked that one yet uh, in terms of the, the new patient flow and, and things that we'd like. It's something we're still figuring out. I think that for us, really focusing on Google reviews, I think early on is, is a really easy way to get a, a head start. It, uh, Google reviews really helps with your, your local SEO for anyone that knows what that means. Uh, you know, It's talking about when someone, if you Google um, dentist near me, um, your, your local SEO is basically um, the different factors that are going to allow Google to put you up there on the first page or high up on the first page um, compared to your other competitors, things like that. So Google reviews are a really easy way to get in front of people in the local area. And these days, people like reading reviews. You know, we, we all read reviews before we stay at a resort or before we uh, go to a restaurant. We look up the menu beforehand. So you want to be accessible to patients in that way. You want to have your menu online. So your you know, price list or something like that, I think, is another good marketing tool because there's a lot of um, 
for, for one reason or another, there seems to be a lot of a lack of price transparency in, in, in dentistry and medicine. And I'm a big fan of trying to make that really transparent. So I think making yourself transparent, having those reviews that people can really understand what does it mean to be a patient in this practice. And um, that's a really easy way for not so much for patients to find you, but for them to choose you, for them yeah. to choose you. And marketing is really, there's two prongs to it. There's finding you and there's choosing you. Um, and so for the choosing aspect, Google reviews, I think, is a marketing tool. Um, really easy, if you've got the right verbiage, to try and encourage people to help you out. Um, really easy way to get a jump start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And for that, is it kind of like you ask your patient, or do you have more of your front desk doing that for you? Oh, good luck if you want to try and get your front desk to do it for you. Um, it, it's phenomenally difficult, um, mostly because people find it an awkward conversation to have. Um, it's just the, the world that we live in. People find it awkward to ask other people, particularly people they don't know, for, for favors. Um, people these days just don't have the communication skills that you know, we once had, the in-person communication skills, because everything is online. It's texting. It's whatever. Uh, so it takes certain training. But, you know, if we were to role play it for a moment, it's just about having the right verbiage. So um, it doesn't matter who says it. I could say it. Someone else could say it. But you've got to be confident enough to have the skills to do it invariably, you know, the dentist ends up being the person who's most effective at it, unless your other staff members are really great communicators, they have the training, and you've taken the time to really role play with them and keep them accountable by sort of checking them, hey, did you ask Mrs. Jones for that review, etc. Because, you know, it's hard to motivate people to, to, to do this sort of thing when it doesn't directly benefit them, unless yeah. you've got some sort of an incentive program or something like that. But even that is fraught with, with difficulty. It's not easy. It's not easy. Every business will tell you that they struggle with this if they're trying to actually solicit reviews from patients. Um, but it really, it's about a quick conversation. So you know, at the end, I'll say, oh, Mrs. Jones, so by the way, um, I'm so glad that you, you, know, you enjoyed the appointment today and that you know, the injection, I know you said it wasn't painful at all. Um, that's, that's awesome. You know, we love hearing that. And if that's the case, I was wondering, Mrs. Jones, if you wouldn't mind doing a small favor for me, actually. Um, there's a lot of patients in the area that you haven't found a dentist yet, and um, I'd really appreciate it if you were able to just write us a short review online, a couple sentences, maybe three, four sentences, just describing, you know, what you just said there to me, a little bit about what it's like being a patient here. It'll really help other people find your dentist, and, and it really helps us as well help um, more patients. Uh, would you mind doing that for me, Mrs. Jones? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's this little, little example of how the conversation might go. Yeah, but I, I, will, I will lament the fact that, uh, everyone should be doing this. Okay. You know, you don't need to be a practice owner to be doing this. As an associate, you should be saying that and then saying, by the way, Mrs. Jones, if you can drop my name in there, um, you know, my name, you know, my full name, I'll get a few brownie points with my boss and stuff. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. And all of a sudden now when patients are calling up the clinic, you know, they're not saying, hey, can I book an appointment? They're saying, hey, can I book an appointment with, with Dylan or with Daniel, et cetera. And, you know, that's how as an associate, as a contractor within a larger business, you start growing your own business within the business. And I think that not many associates understand that, uh, you know, past your first year where you might be on a salary and then you move on to work as a contractor, you're running your own business. <clears throat> Essentially, the way it's set up in Australia is you're running under, for most practices, what's called an SFA, a Services Facilities Agreement. So you're basically just renting space from the clinic to run your own business within it and you're paying them for you're paying the clinic to do the you know the phone calls the reception whatever but essentially it's your own business so you should be trying to market yourself within that business as well but that's another topic 
Yeah, that's definitely a really good example. Thank you for sharing that and also for all the other insightful answers you gave. So just before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share about what's going on in your life or shout out anything? Um, oh, that's a great one. I've got, we've got a few projects under wraps, but nothing that's launched at the moment. But uh, if anyone wants to I guess learn a little bit more, feel free to, to follow uh, my page on Instagram. It's at dentist.dan. Uh, just post some cases there, a couple of fun videos. I'm trying to dabble a little bit more with the, some TikTok style videos, a little bit more um, creativity. Um, so, yeah, and feel free to message anytime through Instagram or other channels. I'm always happy to have a chat, try help in any way. And if there's anyone out there that is uh, particularly, I guess, Melbourne-based and they're looking at uh, you know, opening a dental practice, they need some help or guidance, then feel free to reach out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on the show. Like you said, if you want to check him out on Instagram, he's at dentist.dan on Instagram. Uh, Ibotit's at Smiles with Ibotit on Instagram. And I'm on dental Instagram as well, at Dylan the Dental Student. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm.